Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Soho Art Materials. In 1999, they opened their first shop on Grand Street with a handful of sketchbooks, brushes, paint, and their Trimar stretcher bars. From that point, they've been an integral part of the artistic fabric of New York City. Soho takes pride in what they do as the last independent art supply shop in New York City, and they continue to keep their product assortments and standards high. In 2015, they designed and engineered an aluminum stretcher bar system with the same tongue and groove assembly as a standard wood stretcher. These patented aluminum bars can't warp or twist and are 100% keyable in the corners and cross braces. I've been using them for a while now and these things always lay flat against the wall. They're super sturdy. And you can find out more about them at SohoArtMaterials.com. Sound Division is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join them in part-time study beginning this September. Two-week intensive marathons present a wide range of art-making strategies, rigorous studio engagement, and comprehensive critiques, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon session. An 11-week evening and weekend classes are the ideal way for artists of all levels to experience the school's learning-through-making pedagogy, to receive guidance from inspiring instructors, and to join the expansive New York Studio School community in New York City or virtually from your own home studio. Visit nyss.org to learn more and enroll today. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned company that makes the best artist materials for making that you can get. Over the last 25 years or so, I've been using Golden acrylics, mediums, and materials, and I stand by the quality in their products. They make acrylics that stay wet longer, they dry flat, mediums to make you paint super thick and beautifully fluid. They also make Williamsburg oil paints and core watercolors as well. You can find Golden in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the fine coffee makers at Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has amazing coffee beans that you can order straight to your door. On their website, you can choose from different roasts from different origins, and you can even get a coffee subscription where you can get different beans delivered to your door each week or month. I'm on this subscription plan and it's amazing. As a coffee fanatic, getting new roasts all the time delivered fresh to the door is amazing. If you get to Seattle, you can even see a 10 foot by 40 foot mural of mine in their 6th and Bell Street shop. Check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters at fulcrumcoffee.com. Jody Hayes is a painter who has had recent solo shows at Night Gallery in Los Angeles and two-person shows at Susan Inglet Gallery in New York and Devening Projects in Chicago, the Brooks Museum, Fisk University, and Devening Projects, amongst others. She was a 2019 finalist for the Hopper Prize and the recipient of grants from the Rauschenberg Foundation, the Foundation for Contemporary Art, the Sustainable Arts Foundation, and the Elizabeth Firestone Graham Foundation. Residencies include Oxbow, the Cooper Union School of Art, and the Vermont Studio Center. 
Her work has been published in Art Forum, New American Painting, Hyperallergic, New Art Examiner, and Two Coats of Paint. Her paintings can be found in many public and corporate collections, including the J. Crew Group, Morgan Stanley, Fidelity, and the Birmingham Museum of Art. Jody and I speak about Arkansas, Bill Clinton, Boston, curating, Nashville, thrift store supplies, and much more. Here's our conversation. I had a Japanese pen pal for like 25 years. Whoa, pen pal. Yeah. I haven't thought of pen pal in a while. Right? Yeah. Um, I We lost touch when I had, there was like one extra move we made in Nashville that was only five blocks away, but like in between we were in an apartment, my husband and I. So I think that was just too much and it just broke us. Like we, we can't find each other now. So oh, if you no. see, if you see Misa Chiba and Satima um, Fukokin, then, <laughs> you know. Yeah, right. I'll say hi. <laughs> I'll give her your current address so we can rekindle right. that. Please. So there was never any email or anything. This was purely analog. There, so we started and, um, you know, actually, I, I think having a Japanese pen pal growing up, I grew up in a town of like 1400 in Arkansas. So I think having a pen pal from Japan who would send me these letters, I think we started when I was in like seventh or eighth grade. It was some, I think our our city, which was like the hometown of Bill Clinton. So it was coming into its a self-awareness of what it was outside of this like yeah. sleepy little kind of um, Al Capone gangster town. And I think we were a sister city. So that started a lot of these, like, oh, my English class had a, had like a block of uh, Japanese students who would be exchanging back and forth. I'm certain I'm the only one who did this. I was the only yeah. one that like nerdy enough to do it, but getting these letters from across the world that were like, so beautiful. Like the stationery oh, yeah. was so like funky and cartoony and beautiful and like, just beautiful. I got these like little presents in the mail every probably once a month. Um, so what happened, I think was like, we did try and find each other on Facebook. Cause I'm not like a Facebook native. I was teaching college whenever I got my first account. Um, we tried to email, but I, uh, and I have a couple of them, but there were, that's actually when it went dead because of, um, I think she was putting her letters through translators and it just like didn't make sense. And then there were firewalls and then we just like never recouped. I was going to make a joke and say, it's impressive that you could write in Japanese in seventh grade, but. Hilarious. Cause it clearly was one-sided. She was willing, <laughs> she was willing to write in English and I was willing to write in English. I mean, right, there was... to, to your credit, the, over there, they do work. They, they take English in school. So even if people aren't, you know, great at speaking it you're learning the grammatics and stuff in school whereas we're not all getting japanese in school actually yeah. probably no one is maybe yeah very few we were we had uh french and spanish as our only options so we had french yeah. spanish and, and german we had german uh, as well okay i think maybe my school offers that now but did you take french i took french moisi i mean it was mm. like the the coolest it was the coolest one you know like the spanish teacher he was a dud and German just seemed really kind of like harsh and I don't know. And the, our French teacher brought in baguettes with Nutella, which was like, kind mm. of, I mean, sold. <laughs> That's right. That's which right. Which is a shame because if I learned Spanish, I could use it every freaking day in New York City. Oh, yeah. are you kidding? I can use it every day in Arkansas and Tennessee. I mean, there's yeah. just 
my sister lives in Texas. Like, I think in like a real um, kind of silly, self-aware way, I was like, I'm going to be an artist. So I need to learn, like super colonialist way. Like I am going to learn French because so much, like everything is in French as if it's not also in every other language, you know, that there's a culture. Yeah. Yeah, but French just has an air of artistic arrogance to it that just is beautiful. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) That's right. We learned how to roll our R's by like, um, I mean, her name is Madame Poix, Madame King. We would roll our R's, which I still can't do, and it's not really rolling, but whatever you do with the R. Oh, it's like a clearing the throat R more than a rolling. It's like Spanish where it's like a a hack. Yeah, it's kind of like you're clearing out something. (laughs) Yeah, and we learned to do it by... um, by making the sound into a metal trash can. What the? So, f- <laughs> yeah. So like if the trash bag rattled a little bit to the, then we were doing it right. I mean. Wow. Avant-garde like linguistic <laughs> techniques. This That's is impressive. Right. Speaking of sound and vision. Was this a Bill yeah. Clinton initiative? <laughs> it was not. This is actually, I would have started taking French um, a little when he was still governor actually. Well, he was still governor when he ran for president. So, um, and this is like, would have been like 90, 91. So, yeah. Did you listen to him on Questlove's podcast? It was kind of a fun interview. I don't know how you feel about Bill Clinton. What's a, what's a locals take on, on Bill? Um, I haven't listened to him. I 100% will. I mean, back then uh, I went to governor school, which was like, I, I don't know what the equivalent anywhere else would be, but it was like the the only intellectual like summer program for like smart kids in <laughs> Arkansas. Yeah. Maybe there are more now, or or perhaps there are ones that I didn't I didn't know about because I come from like the sticks. But um, I I mean I think at that point I was adopting a lot of my parents' notions of Bill Clinton and. Um, I have a real regret. My friend Mona Gupta, who's this like, I don't know, amazing, badass physician in Chicago now. And she, our senior year was going to the inauguration at an hour away in Little Rock, like, like when the election came through and I didn't do it. And I regret not showing up to like this huge thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, dig bill clinton i really dig chelsea clinton she's more kind of my um peer she's a little younger than me but um definitely voted for hillary like um and i I think even outside of politics like there aren't a ton of notable arkansans i mean there this may have changed a little bit since the influx in the last 10 years but there's maybe two million people in the entire state yeah so I, I mean, I lived in Boston for most of my 20s, like did not meet an Arkansan there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Bill, like, I, I mean, I love that he's from there. Johnny Cash from there. I mean, I have, I have like kind of this ongoing list of notable Arkansans, CD Wright, like, because there aren't, there aren't a whole lot of models of those of us who like carry our culture with us and then um, experience like a broader um maybe welcome yeah <laughs> no yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what about i mean i can't imagine 
I don't even know. I mean, I've been to Little Rock. I don't know that I know much about it. I, I'm sure I was there for like a tour pit stop or something. You know what I mean? Like for a cup of coffee and an out. But mm. um, mm-hmm. what's the uh, what's the sort of art community or museum slash? You know, like what's the art? I mean, when you were growing up, was there art around? Or were you doing any, you know, stuff that, yeah. that sort of opened the door? Absolutely. I I didn't do stuff that when I got to college, I recognized as what the establishment considered to be what I should be looking at, you know, like highbrow painting and shit. But my mom was an art teacher always. Um, My grandmother um, growing up was a painter when I was growing up, but that was fairly new. My grandfather died before I was born and in her depression, she kind of sought out um, Sunday painting. So I kind of thought she always did that. Um, My papa was always making stuff like very out in the woods. Um, So yeah, I mean, there was like a material culture around me that it took me probably 15 years of my practice, like to um, come home to that because I spent wasted so many, not wasted, but it spent a lot of years like inhabiting this more, rarefied history book version of what we call painting and art. Right. Um, and once I kind of got my street cred there, I think maybe it was subconscious that I just kind of like the home hometown, like crew came back and, and took up residence in my head again. Um, I don't, so I live in Nashville now. Little Rock is, um, I mean, I go a lot. My parents are in Hot Springs, not far from there, but it's changed a ton, just like a lot of places like post pandemic. Um, yeah. Crystal Bridges um, is up in Northwest Arkansas, which is still like not an easy place to get to from anywhere, but it's about three hours from my parents. And but that place has changed. I mean, Alice Walton, who's an heir of the of Walmart Fortune, um, I think it's the most progressive museum in the country, and I thought that when early writings from the coast were like kind of making fun of it. Like who, yeah. why would you do a, a museum like this in the middle of the country? And um, it's amazing. And I think has some of the most <clears throat> progressive curatorial programming. A lot of the curators will, will stay there for a couple of years and then go straight to studio museum or something. So I'm really proud of that. It's really progressive, beautiful. Um, and there's also, like a very cosmopolitan feel up there now with um, a lot of the, not just Walmart, but buyers and the art department at Fayetteville is like radically changed since it was a foreseeable choice for me in high school. Um, And Little Rock's now got uh, the Oxford American, which is a pretty great Southern based publication. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want people to go <laughs> you know, like it's don't, an experience. don't talk it up too much. Yeah, well, they, don't have, they don't have many sports teams there, do they? Just college stuff. That's right. Um, there you but, go. So all sports stay away, except for I mean, you've just revealed yourself, Brian. Because when you say just college stuff, like college football, I know, I know. college football. Yeah, I mean, I um, teach at Penn State. I'm I, I'm not into college football at all. Yeah. Like never was, and I'm from Pittsburgh, so I'm a Steelers fan. Sure. So, you know, and, I mean, and, I went to I went to University of Tennessee for undergrad, and same. Like, I went Vol, to. Is it Vols? Is that what yeah, they're called? The yeah. Volunteers. Mm-hmm. It's orange and white, right? I mean, it's mostly orange, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah they, it gets crazy. 
it's you know it yeah. when i was a student at penn state in undergraduate school I never went to a single game, but that was like the culture there was just, and this is, internet, you know, it was like, there's not a lot to do. Like people had more hobby time, you know? So uh, yeah. occasionally I would leave the art studios accidentally on a Saturday night at like 2 AM and meander back to my apartment, which was on the other side of town and like crossing a stream of like salmon, wild salmon or something. It was just this drunken mob <laughs> of post football insanity. Which like you know made me even more so never want to go to one of those. I mean, I'm it's great. I, it you know I'm sure it's amazing now, but it was a little rogue back then, and it yeah. You know, and it's sort of like the art people. Even though I've always played sports and been into sports, the art people were the art people. We were the freaks, you know, up in that building. And then you know the frat sports stuff was in a different location. Same, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I grew up. There wasn't a lot to do um, in my school growing up, but I. I yeah ran track and almost went to college for that but yeah so I'm not either a sports hater but the the culture of football was a little much um I transferred from SVA to the University of Tennessee so I had two years there and I went to one one football game or two Mm -hmm. no two football games one was when they played Arkansas and um I was usually the art student that like I mean it's a big enough art program that yeah we were our own culture, the art and architecture kids were, um, were over there, but I, I was usually the one that professors would like call to keep their kids while they went yeah. to a football game or something, yeah, yeah, or cause yeah. they knew I wasn't, You're not they, I was like a pretty it, straight yeah. arrow. Yeah. They were like, she's not going. Um, yeah. And back before, like I, I had a, I don't have my volunteer college ID because I gave it to someone to use at a game. And it never got back. So, yeah, I was that one who's like, oh, you can use her ID. She'll get you a ticket. Right. Lost in the ether of college football. Um, okay. So this, we're painting the picture of Little Rock a little bit. I would, I would gather that Arkansas growing up there, you could possibly have like great thrift stores. I don't know why I assume that. I mean, I'm from Pittsburgh and we had some pretty good ones, but. Amazing thrift stores. I was going to say. Amazing estate sales. I mean, people don't, people don't go to Arkansas. Like Little Rock. I think is still an, a national airport. I don't think it's in an inter- international airport. Yeah. Um, and I can actually chart when I first moved from Boston to ten- back to Tennessee um, in Nashville. The the this is two thousand five. The thrift stores were amazing, like yeah. not overpicked. Like, and I could chart like the influx of like kind of L.A. New York designer ish culture, but because the thrift stores got so hard right. to find. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. When I find things, actually my mom is living my best life um, in retirement in Arkansas and she volunteers at a thrift store. So she's uh-huh. actually my like dealer at this point. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah. You're like, Hey, listen, if any, like her Albert records make it <laughs> anything. And any I mean, our- sofas bring it over. <laughs> Any of that. Yeah. She'll send like funky clothes. And um, there's also because Hot Springs was a, I don't know why, actually, I can't pretend to know why, but there's a, there's a retirement village because it's beautiful. There's a retirement city basically outside of Hot Springs called Hot Springs Village. Mm -hmm. Pretty much its own city. But um, when those guys retire and, and settle there and then when they have estate sales, when they die, pretty great. Yeah. 
they're usually like from all over and yeah. So yeah, yeah. thrift stores are pretty solid. So growing up there, you've, you've got some, I mean, your mom's an art teacher, so you're, you're, you know, in the environment of it, you're seeing someone who's dealing with it every day, pretty much. So were you drawn and sketching and into it? I was totally into it. Um, I never, I never questioned that that was what I was going to be doing. And maybe it's because I, I got like early, um, early accolades, you know, in third and, yeah, yeah. third and fourth and fifth grade, I think as, I don't know if this means anything to you, but as an Enneagram three, as an achiever, like that's all I needed to kind of like barrel down and, um, and pursue it. But I had really good art teachers and my mom got me private art lessons who with someone named Heidi means she's gone now, but, um, ended up being one of her really good friends, but she was this like fantastic gardener. Um, she was from Germany and had, had settled in hot springs when she got married to a man from there. And, you know, that really like broadened my sense of like what art could be. I also wasn't having to learn from my mom, which my what mom's a drag. Yeah, yeah. She no one uh, wants to learn from the parents though. I mean, no and she, yeah, she knew that. So I had, um, you know, just high school public art teachers that were pretty amazing. And my high school art teacher, um, I call her my left mom, Nancy Dunaway. She's still in, um, North Little Rock. She, uh, she steered me to SVA actually. She yeah. had gone to art school and she was like, I think, you know, this is a place. So honestly, people didn't recruit in Arkansas for art school. Like if, I don't know how I found out, except if Nancy hadn't been around, I don't know. It kind of changed the trajectory of like what I thought about and like what I thought was possible. It's not like I was like going down the road to my two hours and there was like Yale or, right. yeah. or hard, like that just wasn't in the mix. Um, yeah. So that kind of shot me to SVA and then I transferred and yeah, yeah. SVA. I mean, that's well, that transition must've been, you know, significant, I would imagine. Okay. So, um, to introduce an entirely new podcast. <laughs> it was interesting because my <clears throat> fell at my peers were not Southern. Yeah. But also interesting. I mean, I didn't also interesting because SVA um, in 94 started a branch campus in Savannah, Georgia. People don't know this because it's not there anymore. And people also assume it, it was um, Savannah College of Art and Design. But yeah, David Rhodes, who's the current president, started a campus. And the idea, this is a long time ago, was, you know, like there, there's a whole Southern, I think the idea was like, there's a whole Southern market of art and students. Like, let's start a school alongside SCAD in this like arty Southern town. <clears throat> they were sued by SCAD for conspiracy to take them over. And can you um, do that? Can you sue someone for? They did like opening your own school. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they did. Did they and win I, it? Well, SVA left within four years, so or five years actually. They graduated out. There were two classes that they started. I was the inaugural class. Um, it was pretty amazing. And when I write my book, it's going to be in there. But there you go. But only like a small set of people care about it. <laughs> but to answer your question, I was um, in Savannah, so. Um, 
but equally as culture shocked in Savannah as I would have been going to New York City, I think, because or or maybe even more because the idea is like, oh, I'm in the South. I'm coming from Arkansas. I'm going like over a few states over in Georgia. But Savannah was like a deep South, a very self-aware, genteel South that um, I didn't grow up in. I basically grew up in the Wild West. So that was funky. The school lawsuits were funky. Our professors were coming in from the New York school. That was amazing. And most of the kids, they um, they honored a lot of the, I think, the lower tuition. So that's why a lot of the students were from the Northeast and then just went down. Oh, right. Yeah. So they honored that tuition for the kids that wanted to go back up and finish in New York, which a lot of my friends did. And yeah. I ended up going to Tennessee like the South for me is like, despite like my awareness and ambition and couching my work in a conversation that's really at home in the Northeast, specifically New York, like the South is like a homing pigeon for my practice. (laughs) It's like, like very inconveniently for my career, I've always um, been pretty stubborn about like, I make my most authentic work being like within a drive to um, Arkansas, you know? Yeah. So yeah, crazy, but still like crazy, not in the same way as like a culture shock of New York. It was more like, whoa, this is deep South. I used to talk about it early in in my career when it was still like trauma. And then you realize pretty quickly that um, people don't care and that's okay. Like they don't need to. Life is dealing people a lot of things, but it did affect, really affected my view on place and my view, like my trust of institution. I was going to SBA and I was like, this is great. I'm on my way. You know, I'm going to be whatever we like. I have entered in. I was on scholarships. I was feeling really good about myself and my work and um, my career. And that just kind of because of capitalism, basically, and um, money got just kind of um, disheveled a bit. So the University of Tennessee was halfway between Georgia and Arkansas, where I'm from. And um I didn't know anyone there, but I, I knew it was research one. I wanted to study, not just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to only study art. SVA was amazing. We had like six hour studio classes and um, really had some good painting chops. So when I got to Tennessee, my idea was like, cool, I can study poetry. I can like have some other inputs um, that SVA Savannah wasn't, wasn't able to like address yet. So it, but it made me a real rogue. It, it, it made me, um, when choosing graduate schools, it made me choose like a much less trodden, but super interesting path. Um, that, that really affected me like early on, it kind of imprints at 19, kind of this larger system that's at play as opposed to like, I'm going to art school to, you know, learn how to create a good drawing or something. Well, maybe it's not good in the sense that it does break up that creative flow, but maybe it's good in the sense that you got a little real world insight at an early age. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's actually not, you know, the the SVA South idea is not a bad idea, but did it just have to plunk it right next to another giant art school? It's like the right. first Burger King opening up right next to McDonald's. It's like, well, you could go a few. Well, I mean, think else. I get it though. Like for context, a SCAD wasn't a giant art school back then. I mean, this is 25 years ago. So, right. um, or 20, it was probably 30 years ago now. Um, 
So it wasn't what it wasn't like the steamroller that it is now. Like it yeah. didn't have a museum and like um and it definitely was like shiny, but it it was pretty small. But secondarily, it actually makes sense to me that like a New York school that's used to being around a ton of other New York schools is like, oh cool, it's a happening little city. We'll we'll go there. I'll never know. I think there's also like there was a uh glut. Is glut like when there's a lot of something? Yeah. Okay. I always get that in dearth, like I use the wrong things. There was a glut of really disgruntled professors from SCAD um, because they weren't offered. I don't know that they still aren't offered more than one year contracts. And like, so as an adult who's been a professor now, I'm like, ah, like there was always this, there was already this like ready made faculty. And, and that probably contributed to SCAD's case that they were, SVA was taking them over or like, I don't know. I, I, I need to, uh, there are a couple of articles out there. If you, if you Google like SVA SCAD lawsuit or something, but they did, they do a good job of cleaning a lot of that up. Actually SCAD's lawyers are pretty, uh, seem to be pretty great. <laughs> <They're real. laughs> well, uh, what were you making in school? Like what's, what's your work like? Um, at SVA, it was all like real traditional, um, I was an illustration major, so it was still lifes and, you know, just like foundations chops. Yeah. Um, and a little cheesy, like definitely like the illustration was, you know, through line in my work even now is a lot of writing and language. So at that point, coming from where I'm from, that was an art career, like illustrators or like, um, Hallmark card designers, you know, like Kansas city wasn't so far from where I grew up in Arkansas. So, um, that just made, made for like, I thought, Oh, that's what you do. You go and you're an illustrator. And I had some professors like, you should like switch over to fine art. Um, which I did when I transferred to UT and my work at UT still, um, I definitely was a late bloomer, like, um, had a lot of great, peers and great professors at UT. Josh Smith is one of my, we both transferred in the first, um, the, at the same time to UT. Um, and my work at UT was, um, like mediocre undergrad work. You know, there wasn't anything that probably signaled, you know, this one is the one we're going to, we're going to look for. Um, I think Flannery O'Connor, one of her editors called her prematurely arrogant. And I look back and I'm like, yeah, that's me. I, I like, I knew the work was going to be badass at some point, but, <laughs> um, but it took a while for, you know, I, I think I just probably came off as arrogant. Um, uh, you need that. You need that. I also think that's that loaded, you know, probably particularly as a woman in the South and particularly yeah. as a woman in the South with all male professors, um, except right. for one, Marsha Goldenstein, who's golden. Um, Just one? Yeah. Wow. I had one. I had one at SVA. I mean, this is the 90s, so not that wow. Think about it. Um, and one at um, one at UT. Marsha just graduated, and also I babysat her daughter, who is also a really great um, artist, Katarina Riesling, Riesling um, so yeah, I was really lucky to have, and she's been like a, a mentor throughout my career, really, and and probably did see 
see the non-arrogance at that point. Um, right. Took me under a wing and kind of made sure all my SBA credits were <laughs> made sense so that I only graduated like a semester late. Um, but yeah, my undergrad work was like um, very daily practice heavy, very um, sketchbook, hands dirty, um, somewhat autobiographical. I mean, this was also the 90s where like identity politics was um, a thing to really uh look at in ways that people weren't and i didn't know my identity <laughs> so you know it was just kind of swimming in um yeah just a late bloomer and then it, we moved to boston i spent four or five years working worked in a gallery a non nonprofit space um that really felt like my education we had like 600 members to this art association and just seeing them come in and they're like it was mostly like people in their 30s and 40s and 50s bringing work in to get juried and then we had these like high level jurors that would come in um so that that felt like equally a lot of my art education too like the informal training of like oh this is how you present a work um in a studio visit or this is what a studio visit is you know all that kind yeah. of stuff kind of happened after um and my grad school work was um still representational so i kind of rounded a corner between um i guess representation still landscape based and these abstractions that i make now that i still consider rooted in abstraction and landscape i mean in landscape um but I, I guess that was like around 2011 12 13 you know, like it's like a slow drip that way yeah um and did you did, you had a show here right i was listening to another one of your interviews and you had a show in at the frist right yes i did was that the g ge abstract geometries or what show was that do you remember uh, i it was a solo show yeah and it was in the back like their contemporary arts yeah yeah carrie yeah. may weems had a big show and then yeah. i was in like uh, the side space behind I mean, it yeah and i uh, what was it called yeah, I saw that. I forget, I forget what it was called. <laughs> yeah, it's in the contemporary. They call it the contemporary. I don't know what they call it now, but yeah. Um, it was a great place. I mean, I loved. I mean, Nashville's amazing. Yeah, it's um, it's way different. I've been here seventeen years now, and um, you know, when I moved here, all my friends in the Northeast were like, "Why not Memphis?" Like there, there wasn't. Yeah. I feel like yeah. Nashville's Music City. Maybe they just don't. Well, I mean, Memphis is, you know. Well, you hit the nail on the head. It wasn't Art City. Like, it, you know, it's the Fisk University is here and it's like one of my favorite collections. It, it feels very, it, it's a way that I found a visual a home in Nashville. Um, yeah. I mean, I love, who doesn't love live music? I, I, it is very, a very lively, creative place. But um, at that point, in terms of art, like the first is only, maybe 20, 25 years old. So um, it didn't have the same kind of visual identity that it's enjoying now, which is great. Um, yeah. But there was also kind of like a ruggedness that I really connected with kind of an under, um, I don't know, like the visual artists community was smaller and, you know, definitely ambitious, but like the community was, it's just really different. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, for me, but, it was like you had me at guitar shops and good food and honky tonking. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, and then you would have you would have been able to go to Roberts and not had like seas of bridesmaids buses and stuff like that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's I mean, it's uh, we're I'm here and I have three kids and they go to public schools here. And it's um, it definitely doesn't feel like um, I I quote James Baldwin a lot because he calls home a a condition rather than a place. Mm -hmm. So I feel like um, conditionally my home somewhere else. But um, it's it's uh, like a lot of cities, smaller cities like this that boomed like in the last seven, eight years. It's it's kind of hard to know where I live anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Where do you feel like your heart home is? Not even like where you grew up, obviously, but where you feel like you could feel really at home in this place. It could be yeah. realistic. Where do you think that would be? I mean, honestly, that let's we're getting real Oprah here. I love it. Um, my heart song is uh I mean what what I've said recently is like if I could have, you know, as the work picks up and is advocated for, you know, other places, I would have like a studio in the middle of nowhere in Arkansas Mm -hmm. and a place in New York city. Like I feel like this is why like, I love CD, Wright. She was a, she's probably related to me, grew up in Arkansas, Wright is my mom's maiden name. So I do think there's a lot of, I think we probably have the same like DNA, but she also was the poet laureate of Rhode Island and taught at Brown for years. And she talks about this, like uh, this both and of feeling like at home in an urban space, which is hard to kind of reconcile if you grow up in the middle of nowhere, like, wow, how come I feel so at home here? Um, And then at home with like, yeah, just like, um, you know, hills i mean i grew up in the mountains in arkansas so like or the foothills of the ozark so that feels right um yeah i think there's a lot of balance needed in a way even if you don't i mean i guess there's some people are just like i don't like to be in other environments so where they're from is they're just like if they grew up on a farm they're like i'm on a farm i don't want to go anywhere else i think most people who travel or do a little bit of traveling or something they like the balance between you know this and that city and country or what you know cold and warm and, you know, the ideal situation for a lot of people is like, well, I can stay here sometimes and stay there. So that's why so many people have a house in a warmer climate if they can get it or an apartment somewhere warm and somewhere cooler. You know, it, I think it's natural. It's like a balance of, you know, just when you get tired of traffic, you can go somewhere where there's no one. You know what I mean? And it's that yeah, really probably uh, it's probably healthy for your stress and your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I was up in Maine a couple of days ago and um, re acclimated myself to the conversations around summering. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't know that summering was a verb until I moved from Tennessee up to Boston. And, and I mean, it's a very classist thing too. Right. So I, um, I didn't have, I mean, I didn't know anybody that in Arkansas that like had that, like, we're going to have a house here and a house here. Like maybe people had like land in a cabin an hour away from like their, their house that didn't have their cattle on it or something. But um, yeah. And I, I was talking to someone the, the other day here, her name's Jess Ingram, she's a really fantastic photographer. Um, 
she grew up here and then um, went up to NYU for, I don't remember which undergrad or grad school, but um, I was talking about like readjusting to like what Nashville is. And she was like, I don't, I don't know that I have to love where I live. Like I love that we can fly anywhere from here. And, you know, she had just a really, maybe that comes from having grown up here, but a really generous view of like where one lives as an artist and, it's certainly affordable here because I we purchased a home um, 17 years ago. So yeah. I, this is like where I am. And I've made this spring as like some of my big projects from last year um, and up through May of this year have kind of closed out a bit. I've, I've focused on like making my garage studio, like what it will like make it work really well. Um, yeah. Cause we're not buying any land even like, 10 minutes away. It's just like way expensive. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know that I'll ever be like, really like, Oh, this is it. But all of my family's in Arkansas. So that's a big, um, that's draw. a big draw. That's yeah. a big, like, kind of like, we're all from this dirt <laughs> together. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, I'd probably say that nauseam on here, but New York is like that where, you know, you love it, but you hate it. You know, there's there's great parts about it, but there's definitely it's a sacrifice. You know, there's a lot you deal with for what you get out of it. And then, you know, if you move somewhere where maybe it's a little slower or a little um, less stressful or there's more space or whatever, there's that. But then you might feel that, you know, the flip side of that is being like disconnected or not as much energy or, you know. So it's always a balance of finding yeah. that out. And I think everyone has that own their own metric for, you know, what that needs to be yeah i mean i i was thinking the other day i think 9-11 probably affected my interest in i mean at, at grad school i had professors like move to brooklyn you're ready it's you know so it, you know it's in the sauce i have like some of my dearest friends are there um so it definitely feels like a city that is that is is mine in ways you know like for yeah. artistically or whatever but I think 9-11, just the idea of like, oh, I want to, I need to like drive home to my people within yeah. a day. Like that, I think really changed the way I thought about like what the work is going to be. And and frankly, when I graduated grad school, I went to Vermont College and I was still up in Boston and and the work wasn't there yet. Like I'm, um, Helen Molesworth says of Amy Silman that she's she's like the older model that you like get out of grad school and you work hard for 10 years and then you get good. And then you start showing. Um, and I know that sounds like also um, prematurely arrogant, <laughs> but I knew when I got out of grad school, I was like, that's, that is my model. Like as inconvenient as it is, this is when like, you know, Jules de Ballancourt and all these people were like blowing up out of grad school. And I, I knew, I don't know, I just knew I needed like more authentic time and space to like make work outside of my professor's lenses and, so I moved down um, to Nashville and things, I mean, it was a slow burn, but I spent 10 years working everything out. Um, and and there's a little bit of hubris, I realize now, and me saying, like, I'm going to be in residence in Nashville. But really, you could, like, take chances. And, and for me, I mean, you can take chances anywhere. But for me, like, the, the distance and the geography here, the distance from power, power brokers in the art world and the um 
and the space and the connection to where I'm from, like allowed the work to really become richer and stronger and, you know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't crest at 27, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. The location in the movements that you were making was changes in the work coinciding with that. You know what I mean? Like was your, was the, cause you were saying in school it was pretty straightforward and then like, how did it bring, obviously looking at your work now, there's like this physicality, there's a, a sort of like sculptural sort of building of materials and, mm-hmm. you know, a, did the work migrate through that through just changes in the work or was it also related to your experience of where you are and location? Yeah, I think that, that, that was part of it. Um, I moved, moved to Nashville. I was, I was um, the curator at an HBCU here at Tennessee state, which is a brilliant state school here in Nashville. It's kind of this, the, um, it was more the more open uh, public answer to Fisk, which is like just blocks down mm-hmm. from um, Tennessee State. So that was also a layer of education. I was so grateful to when I moved back from Boston and kind of like some of the rich, intense conversations that we should all be having in our country surrounding um everything, race, openness, our history. Um, I was excited to get back down South and like be a part of conversations here, whether they were like artistic conversations or. So that was an education and an influence. I'm sure I'm not quite, um, I mean, Hank Willis Thomas was down. We worked with Popel. We worked with Sean Leonardo. Like it was pretty magic. Like Nashville was kind of under the radar and, um, and I got to to be at the school and like um, learn from that part of um, Southern American culture that just was omitted from like a lot of history books in the 90s. So, and before. Um, so I think that's an influence. And then um, certainly visiting Fisk's collection almost on a weekly basis and like seeing Aaron Douglas murals and um, the work from my graduate thesis show when I first speaking of thrift stores, the first like four or five months I lived here, I was like paying off student loans like crazy. And, um, and they weren't horrible. I mean, I, a reason why I chose the grad school I did was for financial reasons. And, but I was still like, let's, let's move these out. So I wasn't paying for like old Holland. And like, I was, wasn't like my painting practice radically shifted i didn't think about it in that way but i i would go to thrift stores and buy just those are my art supplies whatever i could find yeah at southern thrift down the street so i started making these like material bouquets and like um they were these like little homages to like everyday everyday life so one i did make one for johnny cash that that's not so everyday and put it on his his grave, I think on the five-year anniversary of his death. Um, but just little, they were made out of um, what I now would call reclaimed materials and Sculpey and just like anything that wouldn't cost me much. Right. I converted my guest room into um, a studio, laid cardboard down in there. So we were, I wasn't paying for studio rent um, and just worked and made whatever I wanted. Um, and again, like a lot of people find they can do that in school. I, I think because of my 
biography and background was so wanting to like be approved of by these like established professors like Faith Wilding and like um, that I, I kind of let, I kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater in some ways. Yeah. So being here. Yeah. Like um, I, I didn't, I mean, I've always, I still couch my work though. It's collage based and reclaimed materials. I'll couch it in painting. So I followed that through line. I was painting landscapes. I started, um, I actually spent some time at Cooper union and that shifted. I started making um, landscapes that were kind of devoid of context. Um, and the landscapes began to shift over years, like over 10 years into um, being interested in paint and pattern, like via landscape. I mean, it's kind of an easy jump now that I look back to think about, yeah, to think about like, oh, I'm making work that's like mining this language of quilting. And of course, like landscapes are compared to quilts all the time. So it feels like such an easy reach metaphor. But um, yeah, it was a slow drip over like 10 years. So when I found, that's not quite the right word, but when I um, began to use more textiles. I was thinking a lot for, I would say a good five years about like the architecture of a painting, like all these like good, good painting, like questions. I was doing that all through grad school. I was like one of the only painters in a, like highly conceptual school. And um, yeah, like lumber, linen, uh, weave, canvas, textiles, yeah. you know? So then I started to like DJ in my, my grandmother's old curtains and like to see what, what that would do. And very subtly at first, I was like sewing some pieces in and um, piecing large canvases with different parts of like curtains or textiles or napkins. Um, and then once I like material and materiality became, became my pace car and um and also art history became my pace car. It was like, okay, how can, how can we expose this grid? How can I expand? I was reading a lot of queer theory, which I grew up super Southern evangelical, you know, like, unfortunately that, that was um, made my knowledge of, of history and poetry and Eileen Miles, like so anemic. So I was kind of doing a lot of like, um, learning and like filling in a lot of gaps. So I, I, with reading queer theory and thinking about it, I was like, where is there a model of like an established thing that gets like spread out and expanded and becoming more open, thinking specifically about a Southerner's place in the history of painting. Um, and I, for some reason, like dunked some, um, some boxes and some textiles in bleach. I think there was like a little too much patina or nostalgia or something in maybe stains or something. So I was like, I'm going to bleach this. I just like dunked everything in this bucket and came back um, a few days later into the studio. And like the bleach had made these like parallel rivulets into the corrugated cardboard. And um, that was my grid. I was like, this is what I've been looking for for 10 years. You know, it seemed like, both inevitable, like looking at the work 10 years and 15 years before, it seemed so easy and inevitable, but it took me that long to get there. It was like, oh, now I've got a material that's painted, it's dyed, it's gendered, it's um, it's ubiquitous. It like, it just like, 
rang all the bells that I had been trying to ring for like 15 years. So so I came at that material stuff um, actually through thinking about the history of painting, but also letting in this like vernacular. I mean, my studio is in my backyard too. So there's a real easy flow between like what's in the house and what comes out to the studio. You know, I'm not having to haul things three, three hours on a subway to like, you know, um, so that that's kind of how it happened. I feel like I've just given you like the, you know, the Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz when he like tells Dorothy, <laughs> "A long time ago, I was chopping wood." So thanks no, for hanging. That, thanks that, for hanging for that. That paints the picture. The one thing, one of the questions that popped up in my head is thinking about, you know, as you transition into this new material, which was seemingly born out a little bit of like just the necessity of, you know, not like just using the things around you. Is obviously you're always people are always looking. At, at work and, and influence, but were there specific people when you started being more sort of material based that you found or like, you know, like when, when people say quilts with art, I think of like G's bend and stuff like that, you know, like, and, and I sure. wonder if you were started looking at different things too, that were feeding into your work. Absolutely. Um, I would, I mean, I think because I went to a highly conceptual graduate school, like people weren't talking about like the ins and outs of painting at crits a lot. I mean, it, it was, you had to really like muscle yourself. Like both, I both like rooted myself in the history of painting because I was so choosing it. Like, and it was not a favorable choice, like in the mid aughts. Um, but then coming here and um, curating. Uh, yeah. Mark Bradford, um, Jack Whitten. I mean, there were, there were always artists. I was, lo- I was loving their work. And I, I thought the gift of curating was being able to um, kind of follow your cur- curiosities outside of your own practice as an artist curator. Yeah, um, definitely. It's nice, right? You yeah. It extends out your, it's not like you're making other work or something, but it, honestly, like doing this and talking to so many different artists in a way, it's kind of like, not curating, but you know, you're connecting with other people's way of work and what they're thinking about. And I think that sort of enriches your own mind about your perspective on making work. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, absolutely. It's like an honoring of, it's a noticing, it's a like honoring it's um, yeah. Giving, giving some space for, for that. So yeah. And curating um, that was certainly something artists I was looking at were, I mean, so many material based artists that I found interesting. I also loved your Helen O'Leary, um, the, the podcast, but also in the, in your book too, just her way of thinking about making, that's an artist that I came to late, like later. So, yeah. um, I was making these paintings that were starting to be a little, a little not as polite in terms of defining themselves as painting and, um, collage based. And when I began to th- it really kind of took a bit to realize they were, someone called me a fiber artist the other night at a panel. And I looked around like, who's that? Like who, wait, who's here? Um, I think because I don't, I don't, I'm not a, someone who sews well. Like I, I think, I think of craft in a really specific way and it's not a way that I know well, like I made really crappy ceramics in my one ceramic pottery class I took in college. And oh, like, you're part of that club too. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was a really fun elective. I have yeah, like I was, I was the captain of that team, making bad surrounds. <laughs> Do you have like a super heavy pitcher that you still have to put flowers in or something? Oh, I don't have. There's none left. They they none of them made the cut. We were but talking yeah. about working in different ways. You know what I mean? Different medium. Yeah. So I think just like the idea of a craft. Um, I mean, like the the shakers are some of my, that's like some of my favorite American history to think about and just like their level of craft and care and thinking about like Black Mountain College and Annie Albers. And um, so I don't, and also like G's Bend, like I don't consider myself to crafter in that way. So it just took a minute before I kind of panned out on the collage based work of like starting maybe five years ago and saying, oh yeah, that's actually have a home in this like fibers place now. And that was fun to kind of um, scale to your question, like to, to zoom out a bit in my vision and kind of start bringing it, like looking at Mark Bradford and going, wow, dude, how, how's my working conversation with that? That's exciting. I never saw that coming. Um, And not, I'm not like overstating my work in terms of like equivocating it to Mark Bradford, but, but you know what I mean? Like in terms of like, okay, who are my, who are my art cousins? Who are my art? In dialogue. Yeah. Sisters. Visually. In, it's yeah. visually in conversation with a kind of way of making, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Samuel Levi Jones, um, Michi Mecco out of Atlanta. Um, it's, it's been so fun to like hit, hit, like to discover or hit or whatever this like moment in my practices in my forties and go, Oh, this is why people used to have solo shows in their forties for the first time, because just, it's so fun to like reimagine who you're, you're in dialogue with. Um, yeah. It, it's been like the most gratifying and harrowing last like three, four years. I mean, the yeah. pandemic, um, I think all of us are like still nearsighted and maybe in figuring out how that affects our practice. And certainly for me, I was virtual schooling three kids and um, was really anxious, <laughs> but the studio became like, it was the first time in a while that the studio became an emotive outlet. And like, I, I'm a smart woman. So I had steered clear to that. I was like a good second wave feminist for a long time. But that was a discovery too, to kind of like use um, really subconsciously this, this place as a way to like disconnect from what was happening outside the studio. Yeah. Um, You know, what we, we haven't broached subject wise is music. I mean, is it, I would imagine, you know, growing up where you did probably had some sort of, well, we talked a little about where you talked about Mm -hmm. Johnny Cash but um you know is it something important to you as a parallel to like working I mean do you listen to music are you interested in it what's its role in your life or creative life yeah um absolutely like grew up um my parents both both play guitar they're they're like school teacher and um stockbroker my dad had a lumber yard growing up but on top of that they would they both like still kind of pick the guitar I never I never picked it up. I don't know. I literally never picked up the guitar to play it. <laughs> My brother did. Um, yeah, growing up, there was a lot of like old school country, Hank Williams. There was a lot of new school bro country, Hank Williams Jr., you know, like. Okay. Uh, but I. Um, actually, the other day I walked into my studio and I keep we we have a. um 
NPR music station here and um, Boot Scoop Boogie was on, which is like Brooks not and what they usually, yeah, not what they usually play. And I know every word of it. Oh yeah, that's so, hilarious. You know, those were the the radio stations. Um, I um, being kind of a cantankerous like outsider view, even in Arkansas, I hooked onto the oldie station. Yeah. growing up so i was like a big beatles fan when everyone else is like new kids on the block and um because i was doing a deep dive in like 60s 70s 80s music um more more 60s and 70s i kind of missed my senior year i should have been like smashing pumpkins and like cool stuff like that but i was Nirvana. like yeah yeah Hold i mean it's definitely in there cypress hill um yeah. And I have an older brother who introduced me um, on the way to school. He would take me to school and my sister and I and introduced me to two live crew and like all that. So really it was like, uh, yeah, I listened to a lot of like Christian music too back then, which is funny being in Nashville now. It's um, and, and also not being in the church anymore. Like it's Wait, uh, like striper Christian music or like, um, just like mm. more straightforward Christian, more straight. I mean, and Amy Grant, you know, that, uh, Amy yeah. Grant was my face first concert. I mean, you had to drive an hour to get to a concert, so um, it's not like I could like walk, take a subway, and walk down and see right. something like really cool. Um, and then I, when I went to school in Knoxville, actually, um, you know, a ton of bluegrass. You could like drive up to like little bluegrass festivals. And I, I think I've tapped out on bluegrass, like those two years, that's all. It's okay, but I don't ever need to hear it. It's cool. Like we're See, good. I'm my, not. <laughs> here's my question about bluegrass because I don't, you know, like I know jazz pretty well. Like I was a jazz DJ and that, that's something I really mm -hmm. love. So uh, tangentially, I like, like, like Bob Wills and Texas Playboys, like that Western uh -huh. swing kind of stuff for Speedy West and Jimmy Bryant. Bluegrass. Yeah. I only know, like the old, old stuff, like Flat and Scruggs, like the, yeah. and I love that old timey Same. bluegrass, but I would imagine there's probably like nouveau bluegrass, just like country, like really old country. I love Hank Williams Sr. Hank Williams Jr. Get, I, no thanks. Like I'm, yeah. I can't but do Holly, it. But Holly Williams, his daughter, amazing. Oh, I don't know. Holly. Yeah. I heard her sing, um, I heard her sing, uh, Well, yeah, I mean, she's she's amazing, actually. Like, and and kind of harkens back to like a a country music. Yeah, I love all the old stuff. I mean, I grew up Johnny Cash, Kenny Rogers records, like that kind of stuff. And I mean, being I live in East Nashville. We've lived in East Nashville the whole time we've been here, um, and it was a much more um, creative. Uh, creatives could kind of could move here because it was much more affordable when I first came here. So a ton of songwriters and there is like something really remarkable to a city that's um, outside of the industry, but a city that's made of like people creating a thing from nothing and making a life of it. I mean, I love that I've got three kids that can be in a visual artist community where we talk about ideas and like, it's just such an invigorating rich life. And they also have like friends whose parents tour for a living or, or do sound for a living or, or, or just like write songs. Um, 
I don't know. It's a, it's a really pretty amazing life. So I've always been a music lover. I mean, I was the one making like mixtapes with like obscure, you know, like songs from the radio that I would try and. So yeah, I, I've always. Um, I, I call myself like a professional listener because there's just so much music here to like to um to listen to. Yeah, I I it's always been a really important part of like who I am. And I used to listen to stuff in the studio. Now I just keep the radio on. Um and that that whatever whatever comes through. Like all during grad school it was like Gillian Welch and there was definitely a mood happening, but I think part of that was like maintaining a connection to like a sound that sounded like where I'm from right. when I was living up in Boston, which there wasn't, um, yeah, just like maybe it was homesickness or maybe it was just like a finding that heart place or something. Um, yeah, but there's like so much music in Nashville. That's, um, it's cliche to say, but that's not country, but that's country influenced, even like hip hop and like, there's just a lot, a lot happening now with the kids these days that if I keep it on our NPR radio station, it's like, I'm going to find some good stuff. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. And um, so like, what are you working on now? Are you in the midst of a body of work or like what's, what's going on with your stuff? I, you know, I, I never, I think it's why I didn't always feel at home in a professorial role, meaning like, a tenure track, you work for like two semesters and you have summers off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't quit working. Like I think um, I, I, it's a reason why I chose the grad school I went to cause it was not semester based. It was like a year long semesters were six months long. And that made sense to me in terms of like having a life of an artist. It was like, Oh, it's cool. Like I, I like that. Um, so I, I don't generally need deadlines to like get me going. I mean, certainly there's like a good closure with titles or um, that for a show, but I had a really intense year um, with showing last year and up through the spring. And I have a couple of things coming up. I'm curating a a group show for next summer. So that's kind of got me writing a little bit. Um, But I told someone the other day, I was like, I don't have much on the horizon and it makes me a little nervous. (laughs) Um, I have a ton in the studio making, like I'm ready for like when things come up, but um, they were like, oh yeah, that's just because you've had a really, really busy. um, It just came off a giant wave. So you're going to like, you know, hit still water for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think I had post-show blues and I don't know that I ever had post-show blues. Like, yeah. Um, and I think it was because they, these are like career milestones, like first show in LA at night and like first show in Chelsea at Susan England. So the, these things happen and, um, and these things aren't because I'm in my mid forties, like I get how fun and great and amazing this is to happen living in Nashville yeah. and choosing to live in Nashville. So I think, there, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm busy. I've got a lot of projects. It was also like, man, I'm grateful. And I've got this like emotional hangover for like how fun this is to have a life that looks like this and getting to travel for work and stuff and yeah. Chicago. So I think I had a little bit of a spring. So I spent a lot of the spring just like thinking about, um, I mean, just like really administrative stuff, like wrapping my work and storing it well and yeah. like putting my 
desk on wheels, so it works better. Um, and then, like in terms of my work, I'm I'm I've beginning to like use um, a lot of like sculptural props and stuff um, with my work. So stumps and like old trash cans and, you know, thinking about um, paintings that have legs, I guess, in that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cool. You know, um, Helen was my teacher, my art teacher. I don't know if you listen to podcasts, but. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be where I was without her. So good. Yeah, that's she so kind good. of like believed in me and, you know, that's, I think her energy is why, you know, this podcast even exists or I'm making artwork. So, mm. But yeah, she's a great artist. I mean, she lives, eats, breathes it. It's just, yeah. you know, it comes out of her. Yeah. Did you know she's it. Irish? I'm kidding. It's like, she's the most <laughs> Irish person on the planet. <laughs> she's there right now, actually. She I love that. She talks about like um, taking her work somewhere and like the, the boxes also being a part of, of the work, the work, yeah. she's, like the idea of like being an immigrant or, or just kind of having this transient space or like picking up and going somewhere with your work or yeah. Oh, that's great. What a, what a great professor to have. Um, yeah. She's it's, you know, I teach next to her now, so it's kind of, it's great. Mm. You know, full circle. Um, yeah. So cool. for people to check out your stuff, best thing, Instagram, website. Yeah. Instagram's great. Um, website, you know, I keep those pretty up to date. Um, yeah. For any of my <laughs> listeners who want to pick up the baton of the pen pal from Japan, please just, just email you just email me and i'll forward it is that how that's right i mean i'm gonna prefer letters i mean i can i can get you my address but um yeah please and that's your that's your job my task i'll be there i'll I'll flag her down yeah yeah just jody misses you terribly and you're amazing you're amazing letters there's only a few people over there i'm sure i'll pick her out pretty quickly yeah right 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 (laughs) if you're listening I miss our letters. Uh, you know what's crazy about the Japanese language? There's no word for I miss you. Mm. Isn't that weird? But it's like oh. that, you know, they have like 40 words for snow or something. I don't know. It, you know, that's language sometimes. There's like little gaps in yeah. things. You know what it is? It probably translates to what is your heart home? <laughs> there you go. I'll look that up in Duolingo. That's right. Uh, Well, listen, thanks so much for taking the time out. Thank you. Absolutely. I've been listening to your your, um, interviews for a long time. So Uh, that means you get good sleep at night. Just put that on and knocks you right (laughs) off. It's like NyQuil. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, thank you for listening. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, this was fun. Thanks. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to the website, soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find images on Instagram at soundandvisionpodcast. You can find out more about my work at brianalfred.net or on Instagram at alfredstudio. If you really want to do the podcast a solid, you can leave a rating or a view or tell a friend. And another thing out there, is why I make art.
official book of the Soundwave podcast, which has a lot of cool stuff in it. A lot of images, a lot of quotes, features on 30 artists from the past of the podcast. So there's still some copies left out there. I think it's, it's getting slim, but you can still find some out there. Got some great episodes coming up. Some really cool people. Very excited. Back from Japan. Reinvigorated. Ready for the teaching semester. Ready for making new work. And all the while talking to some really great people. So stay tuned. And thank you for Thank you.